everyone. You're listening to the 107 podcast where we get together every fortnight and sometimes more often to talk about technology, business and the humans in it. I'm your host Ivan Stegic. My guest today is Mike Gifford, founder and president of Open Concept Consulting Inc in Ottawa, Canada. Open Concept is a web development agency specializing in Drupal much like ours, and a Betterford Corporation, a B Corp. Mike is also Drupal's core accessibility maintainer and has been since 2012. Hey, Mike, welcome. It's great to have you on the podcast. It's great to, to be on. Once again, it's, it's, uh, it's been a while, but, uh, but definitely enjoyed being, being, having an opportunity to talk again with you about, about uh, Drupal and, and accessibility and, and uh, things involved with, with uh, digital tech. I love it. I can't believe it's been almost three years ago. Episode six, we're, on, we're coming up to episode 84. Wow, it's been a long time. I just feel like we've scratched the surface. Absolutely, it's it's amazing how time passes when you're you're busy busy serving client needs and keeping up with changes in the Drupal community. Busy having fun, I think, is what we call it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's talk about accessibility. People throw that word around quite a bit, don't they? I mean, I I think we believe we know what it means, and some people say, "Oh, your site has to be ADA compliant." Other people say, "Yeah, we need WCAG or WCAG compatibility." Why, why don't we start with a definition for accessibility? What what do we mean in our industry when we talk about that for a website? So so essentially, it means removing barriers to make sure that that uh, that people are able to to access your content, however, uh, whatever disabilities they have and whatever tools and devices they're using to go off and to to access it. Um, the the World Wide Web Consortium's Web Accessibility Initiative broke this down into four main pillars that they're using for the the, the WK 2.0 framework, and I think this, this summarizes it quite nicely. Let's make sure that the web it, that your web content is perceivable so that people can, can understand it and, and read it and can absorb the information. Let's make sure that it's operable so if they've got some sort of um, interface that people are working with that, that people can interact, interact with the web forms and they can, um, they can engage with it and click on the buttons and navigate the website. Let's make sure that it's understandable. Um, this is one that, that um, particularly government websites uh, fail on and, and uh, I, I, there's very, very few uh, you know, uh, websites that really excel at, at plain language and making sure that things are written so that, that people can, can absorb the information on the flow and don't need to have a lot of technical, like to eliminate all that technical jargon and information uh, that, that gets in the way of, of comprehension. Um, and, and finally, let's make sure that it's robust. Uh, so many websites work, work great if you're in a dark room with a, a really, um, you know, um, new monitor that's 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 uh, sitting there. But if you're if you're on your phone and, and uh, navigating on a bright day, um, you're going to have a hard time going off and viewing the information and accessing the information. So let's let's think about this in, in the real world situations that the people engage with technology on. It's not always going to be in that ideal environment where those you know light gray on dark gray kind of backgrounds kind of work. Um, you really need to be able to think about about the context with which people are using the technology. So, so that's how I see about, I think about technology within, um, within the web accessibility framework. And that's POUR, right? P-O-U-R, perceivable, operable, understandable, robust. That's right. 
And, and there's a whole bunch of criteria that you can use to, to evaluate your website based on that. So it's, a, it's an interesting framework that's designed to be technology agnostic. That you're, you're not, it doesn't really matter what kind of technology you're, you're working with, whether it's a PDF file or, or whether it's a web website, that, that those, those principles are things that you can use to guide your thinking around accessibility. So those are high-level principles. That's um, how we in, how we uh, want to design from a from a design first perspective, so that the context of the of the design itself is available and accessible from anyone using the site. That's right. There's some really interesting work being done um, by 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 people looking at, at inclusive design, and, and this isn't a new movement, but uh, um, but the there's some some, uh, some neat work that uh, Utah Traverius has has set up uh, to look at at designing for the fringes, and, and, and so often uh, people think about the 80-20 rule, and it's like, well, let's just go off and design for that 80%, and then then worry about that that additional 20% later. We won't we won't, we won't necessarily you know, factor that into the equation. Whereas if you if you look at at the the fringes and design for the extremes, then then you're you can be confident that that everyone is everyone's needs are going to be met, um, and and you can you can work ahead to to see that that you're you're able to deal with it and and, and also I mean if the eighty twenty rule is a great concept for many things but um, but it doesn't make a lot of sense like how many how many businesses would just write off twenty percent of of the United States. Like, would you get rid of New York and, and uh, New Jersey as, as uh, you know, whatever you think about them? Would, would you just eliminate selling to those as potential customers because it's inconvenient for some reason? I mean, probably not. It's, it's, a, it's a large chunk of the, of the population to ignore. So um, thinking about the fringes and, and accessibility um, early on in the design process really allows, um, allows you to go off and to, to serve a much broader range of the population than, than most people are aware of. The 80-20 rule is by definition exclusive. Like you, you're actually saying we're excluding one-fifth of the population because we choose to. Because it's inconvenient. Because it's yeah. inconvenient. Yeah, the, the other there's some really neat work done um, by Microsoft actually uh, with the inclusive design uh, toolkit. And, and what they've done is try to look at, at not just people with permanent disabilities, but to try and, and extend the definition out more broadly so that you have people who have, have permanent disabilities, but then there's people who have temporary disabilities, and then there's people who have situational disabilities. So, for example, um, if, you're, um, if you're in a, a temporary disability, it might be you left your glasses at home, and so you're having trouble reading stuff at the, at the office, or um, you're, you're in a situation where you, you, uh, you're taking medication and so your eyesight may not be as good while you're on this particular medication. Or maybe you've broken your dominant arm and so you're, you're trying to navigate your, the, uh, the mouse with your left hand and it's just not as good as it was you know, with, with your, your dominant hand. There's things like that that are sort of temporary issues that we, we all undergo as part of, of, uh, of living in, 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 a, in a complex world. Um, but, but the situational ones are, are things like, you know, you're, you're in a noisy environment and you can't use Siri to go off and to, to interact because Siri can't cancel out all the noise that, that is coming from, from, from the, the area. Or you have, um, 
you're in a situation where you want to use your laptop outside on a sunny day and, and, and you can't because there just isn't enough contrast in the pages to be able to read, read the information effectively. So again, thinking about all of these different ways that people interact, even if they're not defined as, as having a disability, but there are, are, are times and places where, where everyone has a disability. Context is important. It's, yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. You're, you're so passionate about accessibility. And besides it being the right thing to do, to be inclusive, to think yeah. about others that might not have the same uh, abilities as you do. How did that happen? How did you get to be so passionate? Where did your start in accessibility come from? I think a, a, a huge part of my background came from from having a good friend who has cerebral palsy, who is a um, uh, a real champion for for disability rights, and had, who who schooled me on some of the the theory about how to to think about about disability and to think about the abilities that I have. Uh, so that that certainly is is a really key element to it. Um, and I, I started making changes to to the Drupal community and getting involved in in affecting Drupal and. It was. It suddenly became addictive because um, many people who work in the accessibility field go off and address a particular issue, and they fix a particular issue for a particular website. But that's not what I was focusing my time and energy on. I was focusing my time and energy on fixing Drupal, which is three percent of the web. So I was able to go off and, and to working with the whole team of other people to transition Drupal from being a, um, you know. A reasonably good standards compliant, uh, you know, CMS to being, you know, by far the best, most accessible uh, content management system out there, um, because of some of the work that that I was spearheading. Um, and uh, there's there's uh, you know it was was interesting to go off and look at ways of supporting people. And so um, the first uh, Drupal accessibility maintainer was was Everett Zufeld, um, who also taught me a, a great deal, um, and he was. When he was contributing the most to to the Drupal community, he was working with me as as uh, a staff at Open Concept. So um, I was a uh, was able to go off and learn from him as a blind user, and to to learn what his experiences were with with Drupal, and 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 review my own assumptions about about what was what was possible and how to to address that. Um, there are now actually two other uh, Everett's no longer an accessibility maintainer. Um, but there, in Drupal 8, there are two other accessibility maintainers, um, Andrew McPherson and Rain Browett, who, who are taking on a role of, of, of pushing things ahead and, and addressing the accessibility community and, and um, within Drupal. So we're going to be having regular office hours starting, um, I think it's, it is the last Tuesday of every month. I've just been so impressed with the amount of accessibility that um, Drupal has garnered in the last five years. It's just been so nice to see the the improvements that um, have happened. Of the maintainers, do we do we have any maintainers that um, have disabilities that have the perspective, um, kind of the inclusive perspective of actually using the web and being being able to maintain core from a disability perspective? Um, actually, no, and that's an area where we could actually use a lot of additional work. In that, that there, um, it's hard to to ne actually. I'm not, yeah, I, I don't think that either Andrew or Rain have a 
uh, a disability, not, at least not that I'm aware of. Um, and uh, but there's we haven't had enough people in the Drupal community who have disclosed their disabilities and who have 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 stepped up to get involved in the Drupal community. Um, we had a few people who have have done that. So um, Everett's one, uh, Vincenzo Rabano um, uh, was was uh, was another. He came to to DrupalCon Portland from from Italy, and as an in individual, uh, Vincenzo has contributed um, more to um, to the, the the Drupal 8 accessibility than all of the governments in the world combined. Wow! This is, this is what he did in the year before he started at uh, he started university. So um, it's, it's quite an amazing accomplishment um, in many ways. And, and, and also, you know, why is it that governments around the world are not doing more on accessibility? It's, it's a bit baffling. Um, but the, uh, the last uh, person we've had to, to, to sort of highlight in terms of people with disabilities who've been involved with the accessibility team was uh, Rachel Olivero, who unfortunately died last yes. year. Yes. Um, and um, so that was, was a, a sad thing. She was quite involved in the, the diversity um, community within within the, the Drupal within Drupal and had gone to to two uh, two other Drupal cons and, and unfortunately she she died suddenly as no yeah with us. I, re I recall um, that that was uh, devastating uh, news that we heard I'd had uh, such a wonderful uh, dinner with her at um, that DrupalCon that that we both attended at on trivia on trivia right. night um, she was part of I think she was yes. part of the uh, National Association of the Blind if I'm not mistaken. That, that's right. She, she was um, she was working with the National Federation of the Blind, and it had transferred a few different roles. But but had actually just launched their Drupal eight website and had made a lot of advancements in that. And uh, um, it was really nice to see that. And and she uh, she had also made a couple contributions to the the Drupal community uh, to with accessibility bugs that she she had identified. Um, and uh, it was also. Um, there's there's now a the the Olivero project at uh, within within Drupal is 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 one of the new themes that's that's going to be coming out with Drupal nine and and uh, um, looking forward to going off and seeing that uh, a theme that's being named in in her honor. So that's that's, that's, that's really lovely. We will link to that um, from the podcast episode page. So if you're listening, do visit the website um, for more information. Now, Open Concept is focused on accessibility as a core part of your business, isn't it? Yes, it is. And, and we're, we're actually um, in a position where we're pivoting from being, from being a Drupal shop, where that's primarily what we do, to, to actually um, having, having a role as a digital agency and doing more consultation and support work with, with others. Um, because, of the, because of the work that I've done on accessibility, uh, we've been able to, to sort of take a, a systems perspective to accessibility and, and, and sustainability and, and uh, security and really look at this at a, at, a, um, at, a, at a higher level and to step back and, and address these, these issues. So we're doing more work as a, as a digital agency going ahead and, and not just as a Drupal shop. Well, that's a wonderful um, development for you. You certainly have the uh, wherewithal and the knowledge to be providing that kind of consulting. So I, I love to hear that uh, evolution. And I, I love the fact that your website itself, openconcept.ca, um, eats its own dog food, so to speak. There's there's a widget draw, uh, drawer at the top, uh, some sort of preferences. Um, I, I haven't seen that before. 
it allows anyone to be able to change essentially the design and the contrast and the typeface and everything you would to make the site more um, accessible, I would, I would guess. T- tell me about that preferences pane. Our own website is one that, that, that often doesn't get as much attention as we'd, we'd like to. So we've started a process to rebuild our website and, and, uh, and, and haven't, have had to put that on hold because of some other issues. But, uh, but it's, you know, our website is, is uh, we've definitely built it for accessibility, but, but accessibility is a journey. and You need to be able to invest in that on a regular basis. So I'd like to be doing more with our website than we are. But, uh, but specifically about the, the, uh, the, the widget that, that, uh, that, that we have in our website, um, I realize that one of the, the challenges uh, with the the the, the WK process is that it's building for for like building a single website and meeting the needs of 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 everyone through a single website. But unfortunately, um, disabilities are such that that it that really doesn't make any sense. There are people who have low vision who have who need high contrast. There's people who um, who have dyslexia that need low contrast. I mean, that's just sort of one example. Um, there's people who get really frustrated when they see Comic Sans as a font. There's other people who the best way that they can read content is with with having Comic Sans or Open Dyslexia or some other customized uh, font. So how do you how do you try and give people the the range of exposure to go off and absorb info, information in a way that suits their needs? And and having a single a single site that is not going to be able to achieve all of those goals. So we see that the the future of accessibility is really towards providing personalization. Like yes, you want to go off and meet a minimum uh, a minimum standard uh, requirement. You want to make sure that everyone is that your default website is 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 meeting um, meeting the base level, the, the perceivable, operable, understandable, robust guidelines that that have been set forth in in um, WK 2.2.1 actually, because the latest one is WK 2.1. Um, so that's the, the goal that, that people should be aiming for. But but you can extend it to even more people by going off and, and allowing allowing individuals to have uh, personal choices. And so um, the IDRC, which is the Inclusive Design Research Center in Toronto, um, they've, they've put forward a, a preferences uh, framework widget uh, that we've incorporated in our website. And we did this because we, we were working with the uh, Canadian National Institute of the Blind, which is the, the equivalent of the, the, uh, uh, the NFB in the U.S. or the RNIB in, in the U.K. And we... We wanted to incorporate that within their website, and so we first tested it on our website and looked looked to make sure that we could um, work through the bugs and unknowns and uncertainties with that tool on our website before we went off and implemented it with our clients. Um, and again, that the idea of, of eating your own dog food and evaluating this and and, and building a best practice through through our own by by demonstrating the best practice was something that we wanted to be able to do. Um, so we, we implemented this widget and have contributed back to the, the IDRC because this, this, um, the, the, the preferences framework um, is, is, a, is an open source widget that we were able to build on and, uh, and incorporate into Drupal as a Drupal module. So there's now Drupal 7 and Drupal 8 implementations of the, uh, the preferences framework. If you design a site so that it's meeting these accessibility parameters in WCAG 2.1, then do you need the preferences framework? You you well, you don't for the for the legislation. Like if your if your goal is try, to try and, and make sure that your um, 
that you're just checking a box and that you're meeting the requirements and you're not going to get sued, then, then no, you don't need to worry about the, 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 the widget. But if your goal is actually increasing you know, the, the use and participation and, and, and usability of your site, if your goal is improving the usability, then this widget is actually mm. quite, quite useful to go off and to give your, your, your users the ability to provide um, a custom interface or custom um, display for the site. Um, and and there there are ways that people can override override the, the the CSS that you provided with with um, um, you know CSS um, pages that are custom built in their own browser. But that's that's more complicated than most most users will go off and know how to do. And, and often it, it is something that that uh, that doesn't work well with the website. But if you if you build in this framework, then you can you can evaluate. Well, how does it work with the dark background? How does it work with the light background? How does it work with a a yellow black high contrast mode? And you can you can evaluate some basic. Your developers and, and designers can evaluate some basic ideas to make sure that your SVG files show up appropriately. That you're um, you're, you're able to go off and to to provide a good experience for somebody, even if they they do need to have invert the color scheme. And it's, it's useful to do that even for, for for the number of people who are now preferring to use dark mode on, uh, for for their websites. How do you deal with? Uh, marketers and brand stewards of corporations and organizations who who will I'm sure inevitably say something like that preferences pain destroys our brand it's not consistent with what our brand guidelines say like how how do you deal with um, that kind of pushback I think that I would say that that if if something like this destroys your brand then your brand is not very strong um, <laughs> And you know, I mean, sure, you you want to be able to go off and and um, have some control over your presentation of your site of the of the default settings, but but ultimately, a brand is about establishing trust with the customer, and and there's no better way to establish trust with your customer than to demonstrate that their individual needs are important to you, and that you can serve their individual needs. So. What could possibly be better than, than having a widget on their website that says, you know, we will make sure that this, that you can use these, the, you can buy your Nike runners, um, even if you're, you're, you're blind or if you're, you know, if you're dyslexic, that we're not going to go off and we're going to make it easy for you to, to buy our products and give you the support you need, however, however it is that you, it, it serves you best. And, you know, not to get stuck on, stupid proprietary fonts or, you know, highly custom color combinations that were approved by some, you know, um, highly paid branding office. Like it's, it's ultimately the brand has to be strong enough um, that, that, the, that trust and, and that care for the user shines through. And, and I think that this, this preferences framework is, is a part of that. I've been uh, tracking the variable fonts um, recently. I know they've been around for for quite a while now, but they've they're kind of only recently been getting more traction. I would guess. Do Do you know anything about variable fonts and how they affect or not affect accessibility? I would imagine there'd be a relationship there. You have more control over the kerning and the size and the. Um, the I, I almost feel like they are 
you know, vec- they're somewhat different than regular fonts that have specific sizes. And when you say bold, for example, they go to a specific bold typeface. You can actually change the size and characteristics of these variable fonts with uh, CSS. And I would imagine that would be highly useful um, in from a accessibility perspective. Fonts are, are definitely an, an interesting area, and it's it's amazing to see the the, the changes in in um, in the web that make it make it look more attractive, and more more compelling. Um, but but it is there isn't a lot in WK to address fonts, um, oh. and it's it's a, it's an area that like. Um, Sometimes it just comes down to a matter of judgment. Um, like you, a lot of times, fonts are too narrow to um, to be easily read, um, and and this is something that that um, there's no standard way to evaluate how thick or how how thin a, a font can be without inf- uh, affecting the accessibility of it. Um, and as our monitors get get more and more refined, you can create you know um, more thinner and thinner fonts. Um, so, so it, to, to some extent, I think we are going to get to the point where, where fonts are going to be more easily evaluated, but, but some of it comes down to um, even just base readability, like the, all of the debates that have happened between, you know, is, is Helvetica better than Arial, better than Times, better than, like there's a lot of studies on this, but, but again, nothing boils down, there's nothing in the, the standards that, that, that we're looking at that say, this is is the best font, or this is the way that you're going to address fonts in um, in meeting accessibility in the standards. Mm. So nothing, because it's hard to it's hard to pin down um, and hard to go off into to quantify. And and so much about WK is about making it quantifiable. It's not just about opinions; it's about about a quantifiable, demonstrable um, barrier that, that you're able to address. Um, and so so I, I can see that that with with um, variable fonts, I mean, one of the, 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 the neat opportunities there is to be able to say, how would you, how would you use something like the, the preferences framework to, to allow a user to go off and customize the font? So you exactly. Say, you want to have a fat, fat font for this, or you want the, the, the font doesn't need to be larger, it just needs to be bolder. And just like make everything bolder. Like, and, and you could, with this, very easily just go off and, and have a setting that allows users to to have that 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 ability to um, to, to to build that in and and to to, to think about um, ways of of, of, uh, of or, or switching fonts entirely. Like you could either stick with the just making the the font that was chosen um, you know um, customizable to go off and to to meet your your specific client's needs uh, or users' needs. Um, or you could go off and, and say, well, let's let's give them the option to, to to pick from from you know five or six other fonts that might meet their needs and that that, that address that are, that allows them to more easily absorb the information because because ultimately what we want is is the ability for an author to communicate to to a, to a, another person. So how do you communicate that person that that information so that that a um, that the, the 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 author or presenter is able to go off and do that in a way that that is is able to go off and convey as as rich an information as possible for the the person receiving that information to absorb, 
And, and, and if you were doing it in a, in a face-to-face conversation, we, can know, we know how to go off and to, to you know, slow the, the, um, the pace of our speech or to speak more loudly if somebody has, has hearing impairments. We know how to do that because of personal cues that allow, allow people to, to change their presentation for, for a particular individual. But it's harder on the web when you've got technology mediating that communication. And, and we don't have those personal cues to guide us. So we need to actually give that, that opportunity for feedback to the user and encourage them to, 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 to state, you know, or to select preferences that allow them to, to choose something that is, allows them to more, more easily um, use your website. Now, the standard that we're looking at right now is WCAG 2.1. And people usually say that a is the bare minimum. A trip, triple A is, um, are you insane? Do you have a lot of money? Like, what is the goal of doing triple A? And double A is usually the one that organizations land on, if, if I'm not mistaken, to describe it loosely. Where are we at with Drupal for accessibility, for Drupal core? And, and what's, what's next? Um, so, so, just a bit of a correction. The, 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 in, the, in the United States, the standard is still the revised Section 508 standard, um, which is pegged to WCAG 2.0 AA. And more or less, that is the standard. Internationally, um, we've moved on from WCAG 2.0 AA because that was a standard that was written in 2008. Oh, I didn't realize it was that old. Yeah, um, so a section... 508, the original Section 508 that that was was in place up until January of 2017 was written in 1997. So so that was how old the standard was for for the the, the Section 508, um, which is still better than than the the um, uh, actually no it wasn't better than the the, the WK 1.0, but uh, but anyways, these are old old standards, but WK 2.1 was, was released in uh, 2018, so it's a much more current uh, guideline. Um, and WK 2.2 should be released later this year. Um, and and the plan is to go off and make these releases much more regular and to, to, in order to keep up with the pace of technology, waiting a decade or two between updates of accessibility standards really does leave out a lot of people. So the, the standards are evolving. Um, so as far as where Drupal is, we've done a, a good job uh, at Drupal Core of meeting WK 2.0 AA for both the, um, uh, the front-end web pages and for the, the administration, uh, administrative pages. Um, it's not perfect, but, and there's a lot of, of known issues in the accessibility queue, but we've, we've addressed a lot of the, the, the base issues that, 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 that people run into. Because Drupal 8 has a lot of interactive elements, um, there's content that changes on the fly with JavaScript. And, and we need to be able to, to add more instances for, for support for this so that, that, um, um, that we can alert screen reader users that the screen has changed. Um, so um, Area Live is something that was, was introduced in Drupal 8 and, and that was, was um, uh, using um, there's a, a Drupal JavaScript function called Drupal Announce that allows um, uh, developers to go off and to, to codify how, how screen readers are alerted to changes to dynamic content on the page. So, so we need a lot more work done to implement that in, in Drupal 8. Um, Drupal 8 has, has done a lot of work on ATAG 2.0. So ATAG 2.0 is the, um, the authoring tool accessibility guidelines. 
And this, this essentially says, we're going to go off and take, um, we're going to look at the authoring experience. And Drupal is an authoring tool. And we're going to say, um, part A of ATAG is, let's make sure that the, the, that the authors with disabilities can actually be publishers of content mm. and not just consumers mm -hmm. of content, right? Um, and this is something really that Everett Zufault went off and, and you know, drove home to us, is that, that we couldn't just go off and rely on making the front-end pages accessible. We also needed to make the back-end pages accessible, or people like Everett were not going to be able to publish content using Drupal. So, so we, we, um, we went and, and uh, in Drupal 7, made some big advances in, in addressing the back-end accessibility. That's been carried over in Drupal 8, and, and that's part of... of um, a tag part A is just sort of making that the authoring interface be as accessible as possible. The part B is actually, I think, more interesting and more, more useful, particularly for institutions. And I'm sad to see that there isn't more, more attention paid to part B of A tag, because that's, that's about how do we use these systems to make it easier for, easier for authors to create accessible content? And how do we, if we don't think about, about the, the, the authoring experience. Um, like we can't expect authors to be accessibility experts. We need to think through the the tools and the technology that they use to support and guide users in doing the right thing. We need to set good defaults for accessibility in the authoring tool so that that when when the the millions of users are adding new content to Drupal um, in the Drupal the three percent of Drupal websites around the world, like it's it's a huge number of people that have used Drupal on an, on, a, on a regular basis to to interact with with you know it's a huge number of people that, that need to be be involved, and if you don't have the system helping authors make the right decisions, um, then then it should be no surprise that you have inaccessibility. Issue or accessibility issues being added by authors who who are not familiar with good with best practices, but if you get the tools involved in, in setting up proper constructs, then then you can limit the damage that users can do. You can you can guide them to make the right decisions. Um, and there's a lot more that can be done in that space that, that we've 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 done more than anyone else, but we have not we have not done enough in that space. I like to hear that we've done more than anyone else, but I'd be even happier to hear that, um, you know, quote unquote, everyone else is, is close on our heels and, and equally accessible. So I, I, before we close, I wanted to hear um, your assessment of other competitors, other um, CMSs and frameworks out there and what their accessibility is looking like. How, how do they compare? I mean, let's talk about maybe... You know, a couple of the um, open source ones we all know and love, like WordPress, and and maybe talk about React or Gatsby or any of the things that um, come to mind for you. How how do they compare? So I think that the I was really quite hopeful with the WordPress community up until the the Gutenberg mm. debacle that, mm -hmm. that came out, and and um, I uh, I had a a really when I was in Holland in the fall, I had a, a great meeting with. Um, um, one of the the, the the WordPress accessibility leads that stepped down because of, of how that was handled. Um, and it was a really interesting um, um, presentation that, that she and I, I had with, with others in, in Holland around accessibility. Um, so so I'm, less, I'm less optimistic about the, the, the future of WordPress accessibility than I was because of 
leadership issues within the, the WordPress community. Um, but I, uh, there's lots of good people involved in, in creating accessible themes in WordPress, and that's great. Uh, but but it, it does require it to be a priority for the leadership in order for it to be really ingrained in the community. And that's what, one of the things that Drupal has really stood out in. I'm really impressed by Gatsby and and with with uh, Marcy Sutton and and uh, and others um, who who have really a, a deep ingrained um, passion for accessibility that they're building into the process. And so, if you're if you're building a um, a Gatsby uh, a Gatsby site or building a Gatsby page, accessibility checks are now just part of the process mm, of doing the Gatsby build. Good. And and just having that that as as a as a framework is is. It's just built into the process of how you build a good Gatsby website. It's just that's that's so wonderful. And they're, they're, um, uh, Marcy was involved in the Axe Core team, which is a um, an automated accessibility tool or engine that that the the DQ uh, folks built a uh, um, a while back, and and it's it's, it's really been taken off and, and the the Microsoft community is, is jumping on board with that and, and uh, the, uh, Microsoft has built a tool called Accessibility Insights that that uses that. Um, there's also um, the, the, uh, the Google Lighthouse uh, tool uses uh, AxeCore as well. So it's, it's nice to go off and to see that that's uh, that's built into um, to Gatsby and, and that there's a commitment to that from senior levels in the the, uh, uh, the, the Gatsby community. Um, I haven't really seen a lot of other examples where where um, content management systems are taking this seriously. Um, I do think that that um, Microsoft is some is a is an organization that we do really need to to be aware of both because their their interest in in open source and their their passion for accessibility and that that has really been a a real transition in the last uh, two or three years that uh, yeah who uh, saw that coming what, yeah what the heck so like they're incredible leaders in this space um, and and uh, and making a lot more money because of it and and that's that's uh, both wonderful and and, and fascinating and, and uh, I think that that the yeah, I, I certainly did not see that coming. I was definitely not one of the people that expected this. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's uh, I think it's quite wonderful, and I think it'll be neat to see what what Microsoft comes up with. And and uh, I'm not sure that that there's enough uh, money in the world to go off and make SharePoint accessible. But uh, <laughs> yeah, SharePoint doesn't have a, a great stellar accessibility. I, I mean, it, even for regular, you know, nor, uh, the rest of us, it, it's um, the user experience could be better. That's right, but but it still is. It is interesting that Microsoft has made this a a, a uh, there's made a cultural shift in how they think about both open source and accessibility and uh, and sustainability for that matter. I mean, they've, they're they're committed to being carbon negative uh, by 2030. So they're, they're wow. making some big bold leadership commitments in in the tech space, and and I think that they will pay off for Microsoft. Um, and and I think that that is something that could be that others will follow. But but it's I, I haven't seen a lot from from um, most other um, like React itself. I haven't seen a lot of, of pickup and movement around this. I haven't seen uh, or Angular or uh, Core. What about Site Core or any of the no, proprietary CMSs? I, I think that there's still enough organizations who 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 still. Yeah, I don't think it's part of the process. They're not looking at it, building this successful by default. Mm. And, and partly that's because clients are not are not demanding it. There are not enough organizations who are demanding accessibility as as part of the default system. And 
Um, I think this is, is changing. The, the governments in Europe are, are starting to be aware of this and looking at Drupal and, um, and looking at, at that as a model. Um, but they're, um, but they're not other, it's not, it's not being incorporated into the, the, um, the procurement process. So sales folks are not hearing this as something that, that is, is, is something a demand. That's, that they're not losing their contracts around it. You know, like, yeah. And you would, you would expect there to be a more vocal, um, demand on it. As you know, there was this report from the World Health Organization in 2011 that said that about 15% of the world's population lives with some form of disability. And and it's probably higher than that. I mean, that's almost 10 years ago that that, was, that report was done. So you would think that there was a demand that, that corporations would see this and, and would move in that direction, but I, I guess not. And that's only the people with permanent disabilities that they were addressing. They weren't looking at either temporary or situational. Like if you're looking right. at temporary and situational, it's it's, 100%. it's even higher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> right, right. We all experience high sunlight when we go outside and use our phones, don't we? That's right. I mean, it's it's, it's a universal thing. Unless you don't use, unless you don't go outside, you're going to. <laughs> right, right. And same thing with getting older. We all lose our eyesight as we're getting older. Our, our vision becomes impaired, and so there's that to think about as well. That's right. And you've got the aging boomer, baby boomer population. You think about the the gray tsunami, like. All of those ideas require us to think differently about the web because it's not just like it, our, the ways that we see color change as we age, the way that we navigate websites changes. It's it's a it's a it's just disability is just part of life. You know, we, we do not have the abilities that we did when we were twenty. This should not be a shock. No, to it anyone, shouldn't. Right? I wish I had those abilities still, Mike. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> It's been so great talking to you. I feel like we, we didn't even cover some of the things I wanted to get to, um, talking about the government and your work with the Canadian uh, government and how you've been keeping track of the Accessible Canada Act. W would you come back sooner than the next three years and we could have another recording and another uh, episode and we could get into that, uh, those ideas as well? I would absolutely be keen on doing that. And then hopefully it'll be something that'll be, be, be done in, in person as well, which would be way more fun than, than doing it remotely. You know what? That would be so great. Next time you're in Minneapolis, I know you won't be here for DrupalCon this year, but next time you are, let's do that. That'd be great. And, and who knows? Maybe I'll swing, swing away to get to DrupalCon. Maybe I'll make, make that possible. But uh, it's not in the cards right now, but it would sure be a lot of fun. That would be so much fun. Thank you so much for spending your time with me today. It's been a great pleasure talking to you. No problem. Mike Gifford is founder and president of Open Concept Consulting, Inc. in Ottawa, Canada. You can find them at openconcept.ca. They're a web development agency that specializes in Drupal and are pivoting to be more of a strategic consulting firm. They're also a B Corp. Mike is Drupal's core accessibility maintainer, one of the few of them. And you can find him online at mgifford.com on Twitter. You've been listening to the 107 podcast. Find us online at 107.com/podcast and if you have a second, do send us a message. We love hearing from you. Our email address is podcast at 107.com. Until next time, this is Ivan Stegich. Thank you for listening.